Well, morning again. A couple of things just quickly. Um, just to uh, let you know that um, Glennis Wren is also in hospital at the moment. If we could uh, also be remembering uh, her and Alan in our prayers. She uh, has had uh, major heart surgery during the week. Also, uh, Ian uh, Coxage's mum has had a uh, severe heart attack during the week and is also in hospital down in Sydney. And uh, we pray for Ian and Rochelle and the family and all, uh, and, and especially his mum and dad as well. So if you're going to just keep those uh, people in your thoughts and prayers this week too. Um, for those of you who might have known Norm Fuchs, Norm and Marge Fuchs, um, Norm actually passed away during the week and there is a memorial service this afternoon at Mueller College. Uh, for uh, for him, uh, so if you uh, are, um, uh, know the family and would like to go along to that, I believe it's uh, about one thirty. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, one thirty at uh, at Mueller College. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God indeed who has poured out your love to us through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, that uh, says to us that. We are indeed important to you as your people, that you indeed care for us, and that, Lord, that you want us to walk in relationship with you. Lord, we thank you that uh, this morning as we open up your word, we can, Lord, learn afresh, anew, or just be reminded again of the people that you've called us to be and what kind of a God you are. Lord, we especially ask this morning for the anointing of your spirit to be upon this word. Uh, that you would give me the right words to say this morning, that, uh, Lord, that they would not just be human words, but words that are empowered by your spirit to us. And that, Lord, you'd give us all ears and hearts to know and to hear what you are saying to us, both individually but also as a church today. And, Lord, help us to realise that these are indeed the very words of God the eternal one, the immortal one, the one who is all wise, who is perfect, who is good. So Lord, we commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, prior to church camp last week, we'd been doing a, a series of uh, messages on our purpose as a church, North Pine Baptist Church, why we exist. And we've seen through those series of messages that we are a church that exists for the purpose of worshipping God, of proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in order that people might come to know him personally, that they might come to follow him obediently and they might serve him faithfully. In other words, that we would become mature disciples, mature believers in Jesus Christ. And uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means to, uh, to be these mature disciples. What kind of a process that we need to, uh, to take into consideration in order to, uh, to learn and grow in our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be the people he's called us to be. And the three key words that you're going to hear over the next uh, three weeks and hear quite often over the uh, coming months are the words know, grow and sow. We are to know God. We are to know God in a personal way and we are to know him and grow in our knowledge of him. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Next week we'll be looking at grow and the fact that we are not only to know stuff about God but we are to grow in our relationship with him. We are to grow in our spiritual maturity. We are to, to become more and more obedient followers of Jesus, to become more and more like him in our character, in our behaviours and in our attitudes. 
by the help of his Holy Spirit. And finally, we'll look at the, the aspect of, of, of being people who sow, who are people who are out there sowing the seeds, the word of God, in order that the kingdom of God might be extended and grown in, uh, in our world and in, uh, in, uh, in our local region. So they're the, uh, the things that we're going to be looking at. This, this is the discipleship pathway, if you like, or the discipleship strategy for us as a church in terms of how we become mature followers of Jesus Christ. So what does it really mean to know a person? What does it really mean? I mean, I could ask you, do you know Pastor Dale? I've already teed him up for this, so it's all right. He knows I'm not going to uh, just uh, stick him in it without, uh, without letting him know. But do you know Pastor Dale? Some of you do. Yes? Pastor Dale, you might think, well, yes, he's one of the pastors here. He's the guy with the beard who's going to lose it next weekend. Uh, you might uh, know a little bit more about Dale. You might know that, he, uh, that he's married to Jody and he's got uh, three lovely daughters. You might know even a little bit more about Dale, the fact he likes four-wheel driving and, uh, and those sorts of things. But is that really knowing Dale? I mean, does that, does that really know what really makes him tick, what he's really passionate about, what really drives him, what are his fears and what are his dreams and things like that? What's he really like? Now, I could ask you the same question this morning about God. Do you know God? Now, consider that for a minute. Do you? As you sit there in your seat this morning, do you know God? I'm not asking you if you know stuff about God. Because a person can know a great deal about God without much knowledge of him. That deep, intimate and personal experiential knowledge of God. I'm asking, do you really know God? Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the most influential preachers of the 20th century, had this to say. He said, our supreme need is to know God. Our supreme need is to know God. Of course, what he meant was just, is, is that for people to know God well, not just to know stuff about him, but to know him deeply, to know him as he truly is, to have an experiential knowledge of him as you, as you have walked in relationship with him and as you have seen him work in your life and as you have, you have come to know him more and more about his character, about what he is like and about the people he's called us to be. That's the kind of knowledge I'm talking about this morning. Now, the way we obtain that knowledge is, first of all, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 that, that Jesus is the exact imprint of God, the exact representation of his being. So in order for us to know what God is like, we only need to look at Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus in John chapter 14, when he tells his disciples that he's going to be going away, he's going to be leaving them, you know, Philip says to him... Jesus, he says, just show us the Father and it'll be enough. And Jesus says, when Philip, haven't I been with you long enough 
and yet you still you still don't know him. He says, Philip, if he said, if you want to know the Father, then look at me. Jesus says. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. In Colossians chapter 1, it speaks of the majesty and the supremacy and the glory of Christ as the one who is indeed God in the flesh. If we want to know God, we must first look at Jesus Christ. And of course, the way God has also revealed himself to us, apart from Christ, is through his word, the Bible. His written word. God reminds us that in Second Peter chapter 1, and verse 20 and 21, it says, you know, all this scripture that we have, let me read it to you. Just uh, quickly uh, find it uh, in here. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 and 21. Peter writes this. He says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. In other words, it's not man's idea. Scripture is not man's idea. He goes on to say, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 it says that all scripture is breathed out by God, inspired by God, in order that we might know him, so that the man of God might be trained in God's ways. So we see that there are two key ways of knowing God in a personal way that is through looking at Jesus Christ and then learning about him through his word. The whole Bible, the whole revelation of God to us. And we learn about God as the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and applies it to our hearts. And as the Holy Spirit gives us that personal experience of walking in a living relationship with God. Our supreme need is to know God. And God is knowable. God is knowable. Now, why is it our supreme need to know God? Well, simply put, it's this. Because without knowing God, we cannot truly know ourselves. The Bible tells us that we as human beings are created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are created by the living God and he has placed his image within us. But not only are we created by God, but we are also given purpose and meaning by this same God who made us. For God said to, uh, to Adam and Eve, he said, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. God, we find our purpose and our meaning and our identity first and foremost in God and in a relationship with him. 
Now, as we look around at us today, as we behold our world, we see that things are in fact not very good anymore, are they? Why is that? Well, again, God explains it to us in his word in Genesis chapter 3, where he speaks about how mankind rejected God. They turned their backs on him. Instead, they sought to be their own little gods. And ever since then, it has been ingrained in mankind to be, to have that kind of attitude towards God, to rebel against him, to reject him, to, to, to be our, the people who are the, the own kind of, um, you know, um, people who, who um, I just lost the word there for a second, who determine our own destinies, our own authority. We do things our own way. And that is what the Bible calls sin. Ultimately, that is what the Bible refers to as sin. Us setting ourselves up as little gods. Without God, we live in darkness. We cannot know the truth. We cannot know the truth about God or the truth about ourselves. And of course, this leads to the fact that in rejecting God and, and in setting ourselves against God, we are subject to God's judgment and his wrath. We're cut off from God forever. And yet in his great mercy and love, God chose, us, chose not to leave us in this predicament. But instead, he provided a way that we could be reconciled to him through faith in Jesus Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Folks, this old creation of which we are a part is passing away. It is corrupted, it is decaying, and it is destined to be destroyed. But God is in the process of setting up a new eternal kingdom, a kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever. His perfect kingdom. And right now, he's at work in this world calling people to enter in to this new kingdom to become spiritually reborn, to have God's spirit indwell them and to, to, to be his seal of ownership upon them, to be people who are obedient and loyal to their king, the king being Jesus Christ, as we expectantly and as we joyfully await for his coming, his return. That's what God is about today and what he wants to be about in our lives and in our world. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 14 speak of, of this plan of God, all of these blessings that can be available to us through Jesus Christ. It's one of the most incredible passages of scripture that you could ever read. All of the blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ, that are, that are ours secure and firm in him. So as we speak about knowing God, to truly know him, we first need to accept certain truths and certain, um, certain things about him and about ourselves. First of all, that he is God and we are not. Secondly, that he is holy and righteous and good and we are not. That he is absolute truth. That he is the ultimate source of life. And that we need to be reconciled to him through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, we have to be spiritually reborn. Our spirits need to be made alive again to God and to see his truth and his reality. To understand his will and his purpose 
for us and for this world. This is the first step in knowing God. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and my own know me. Jesus says there is a knowledge both ways that God knows us and we know him. But not only that, Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 10 and verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So not only is it good enough to know Jesus, but that we need to listen to his voice and follow him in obedience. That is primarily how we enter into a relationship with God. And failure to know God in this most primary way will result in us experiencing eternal separation from God or eternal damnation, what the Bible refers to. So before any growth can occur in our life, in our lives, there must first of all be a spiritual life within us. That first point is that we need to know God through a personal relationship. We need to come to him and accept him on his terms. But then having been brought into this new relationship with God, that is having come to know him, we are to grow in our knowledge of him. We are to know him more. And this is the secret to a fulfilling and purposeful life in this world today is to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. It's the essence of Paul's prayer here for the, for the Christians, the believers at this church in Ephesus back in the first century. And it's the prayer for all believers still today. That God may give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. You see that in verse 17? Paul says, I remember you in my prayers, and this is the prayer that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul prays something very, very similar for the believers in, uh, in a couple of other locations as well in the first century, in Philippi, in, in Greece, in Colossae. Think about our prayers for a moment. Think about your prayers. What do our prayers often consist of? If we're honest, I'd say that a lot of the time our prayers consist of praying for physical needs, of praying for material things. And sure, you know, we should be, we should be doing that. God says in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, that which we need from a material and physical point of view. And I'm sure that the people whom Paul was praying for, these believers living in the first century in this, in this city of Ephesus, that they themselves had many needs. Yet Paul knew that their greatest need was to know God in a deeper way and all of the blessings that were already theirs in Christ. Because only this would stand them in good stead to face whatever circumstances and whatever situations that they faced in their lives. And not only that, it would also make them fruitful for God. It's interesting that Paul actually writes this letter. In, he's in prison when he writes this. 
And Paul's heart at that particular point in time is for those believers that, he, you know, that he's heard about, that he's you know, perhaps ministered amongst, that they would grow in their knowledge of God, in a deeper understanding of him. See, folks, the fundamental premise behind all of our sin and disobedience as believers those things which, which hinder our spiritual growth and, and, and hinder us in experiencing God's joy and peace in our lives is that we just don't know God well enough. We don't know God well enough. And because we don't know God well enough, we don't trust him enough. We don't trust that God has got our good at heart. We don't trust that he loves us regardless of who we are and of what we've done. We don't trust him enough that he will provide for us in all of our needs, both physical and spiritual. We don't trust him enough that, that, that he won't fail us. See, the deeper we know God, the more we learn to trust in him, the more we grow in our faith and the more fulfilling our lives become. We sang that song just before and uh, about, about trusting Jesus. It says, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus. And in, that, in the chorus part it says, how I've proved him over and over. That's what we're talking about here. It's that personal relationship with God and as God you know, ministers and, 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 and provides for us and as he helps us in through all of these things in our lives, that's how we grow in our knowledge of him through, through personal interaction, through, through seeing him at work in our lives as we put our trust in him and as we seek to just you know, be the people he wants to be, to see his power at work, it shows us and it strengthens us in our, it strengthens us in our faith. It strengthens us in our trust and in our knowledge of him in order that we might be even, you know, learn to trust him even more in our future days. How have you trusted God? How have you proved God over and over in your life? Have you? The more we grow in our faith and trust in God, that is this process of discipleship that we're talking about. And I said, how do we know God more? Well, we've said it before, through the Bible, through spending time in the word. Folks, there's no way around this. As believers, there is no way around this. If we truly want to know God more and to grow in, in our knowledge and understanding and in our faith and trust in him, we've got to know him through his word. We've got to spend time in it. We've got, to, we've got to spend time not just reading it, but, but meditating upon it, allowing the word of God to sink into us. As we've sort of mentioned before with, uh, with Beck, we've got to marinate ourselves in the word of God. That's a wonderful image, isn't it? But it's true. So it permeates. So it sinks in. That old ad many, many years ago, some of you might know Mrs. Marsh and the Colgate ad, the chalk in the, uh, in the uh, cup of uh, coloured water. Wow, Mrs. Marsh, it gets in. Yeah, it does. But only as we, only as we spend time in it, as we, we ask questions of it, 
about what does God want me to learn about him from this? What, what, what things does he want me to follow? What kind of behaviour does he want me to have? What kind of attitudes does he want me to have? How does God act here? What's his character like? All those sorts of things. Not only we, we learn about him through the Bible, but we also learn and grow and deepen our relationship with him through prayer. That prayer is communion with God. And of course, as I said, through that personal experience. Paul goes on to say that we might receive the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of God. That we would be granted a deeper knowledge and understanding of God. And as we understand this more, as we understand him more, as we grow in him more, that our our attitudes and our behaviours begin to be transformed. They begin to change. You've You've got to first have the mind and the heart transformed before there'll be life change. And this is what Paul says when he goes on to say, I pray that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. The heart was the centre of the will and of the emotions of a person. It was the very core of a person's being. And what Paul is saying here that he wants believers to see clearly in their understanding of God, not just in their minds, but in that place where all of a person's convictions are formed. Because spiritual understanding is dependent upon a heart that is tender and receptive to the things of God. And as our hearts are transformed, so our lives will be transformed. It's interesting that many of Paul's letters, Paul's writings, he spends a lot of time in the beginning of his letters speaking about correct doctrine, correct understanding and correct knowledge of God, and then he seeks to apply that in the latter chapters of his, of his letters. Correct doctrine is, is vital Correct understanding of the truth of God is vital if we want to have correct behaviour. Of course, all this is is a work of the Spirit of God. It's got to be a work of the Spirit of God in our lives. We can't do it on our own. And that's why Paul says that, we are, that he wants God to grant us a spirit of wisdom. You know that's, that, that word spirit there is a capital S? Speaking of the Holy Spirit. That we might receive the Holy Spirit of God who will give us correct understanding and the enlightenment that our, li- our minds and our hearts need in, in relation to God and who he is. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to enlighten our spiritual eyes to the truth about God. So Paul says, I want you to have this spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of God. I want you to have the eyes of your hearts enlightened, to be illumined, to have something which was hidden revealed, to be made known. And this is what then Paul then goes on to say, three things which he says I want to, in terms of the knowledge that he wants us to understand, the things that he wants us to understand. And all of these three things pertain to God's work on our behalf, 
They all pertain to the new life that, we, that he has given us in Jesus Christ. And they all reveal what God is like and who he is. The first is hope. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The hope that he's speaking of here is that confident and settled assurance of our future, which is guaranteed in Jesus Christ. That that future relates to our eternal life forever and ever in heaven with God as his children, as his treasured possession. But of course, the New Testament scriptures speak about that future as something which is already ours, that we have already obtained it. A number of a couple of years ago now, um, um, Bree was uh, was given an award at school, and we got a note home in the uh, in the mail saying that she would be uh, given this particular award at the uh, at the Grace um, presentation night, which was which was coming up. And uh, sure enough, on that night, she was her name was called up, and she got up to receive the award. But what we could see is when we received that letter, when we were told that we that she was going to be a recipient of that award, it was just as good as the fact that she'd already obtained it. It was already in her hands, so to speak. And that's what God is saying about, about us and all the blessings that he speaks about here in this first chapter of Ephesians in verses 3 to 14. God is saying all of these blessings are ours now. And you can have that wonderful and confident assurance and hope that these are yours now, not just something for the future. And what this speaks to us then is of God's faithfulness. It speaks of God's faithfulness to his children. It speaks of his grace towards us. It speaks of him knowing the end from the beginning and and, and that he is the one that will be victorious because his plans and purposes are going to work out. And that all who trust and look to him, they're going to be on God's side. They're on the winning side. So he says, I want you to know that hope because that is the hope that, that keeps us encouraged and keeps us on the right track in life. Then he says, also, not, not only do I want you to know the hope to which he has called you, but I also want you to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And one could take this to mean that all of the riches that he's speaking about here are, are the riches that we have received as his children in Christ. But there's another way to understand this as well. The original language leaves leaves itself a little bit ambiguous here. And so what we can also understand is that the riches here are the saints themselves. In other words, us as God's children. We are his riches. We are God's inheritance. We see this in, uh, in, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 8 and 9. Where God says, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. So the people got the land, but God got the people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. And so this tells us what kind of value we are to God, each and every one of us. How much God loves us. How much his desire is for us to, is for him to have us for himself. In order that he might bless us and that we might be a blessing to him. We are God's riches. Did you ever, did you understand that? Did you ever think about that? That's incredible, isn't it? 
that God would see us as his treasure? You and me? Well, I can only speak for myself here, but... God would think that we are his riches. That's mind-blowing. And then he also speaks of God's power. Not only what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, but also what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul speaks here of the power which is the power of God which is available to us as his children. A power so great that it surpasses all other powers. A power that is able to accomplish anything that God purposes to do in his will. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, as Paul goes on to say in the verses following this section. It's the same power that, that helps us you know, in our own lives to say no to sin and to say yes to righteousness, to following God's ways. It's the same power that helps our hearts to be transformed, our minds and our hearts to be transformed. It's the same power that is able to bring about the fruit of the Spirit of God in our life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness and so on. It's the same power that enables us to put others first. It's the same power that enables us to pray for our enemies instead of seeking to exact revenge on them. It's the same power that helps us to turn the other cheek and to go the extra mile. That's the kind of power we're talking about. But you might like be a bit like me, a bit like John Piper who once said this. He said, he says, I suspect a vast majority of you don't feel that power. Sounds idealistic, doesn't it? Sounds like religious hype. Sounds vague and theoretical. Doesn't correspond to our experience as Christians. And so we instinctively ignore it. We instinctively just put it in the too hard basket and think, oh, well, I, you know, God's word might say that, but I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's right. And you know what? If you're like me, I probably don't blame you for feeling that way. Because I've often felt that way myself. And I think every single one of us at some point in time in our lives have felt that way too, haven't you? But you long for that power. You long for that hope. That just doesn't seem real. Can I assure us this morning that by the grace of God, we can know it. We can know it in our lives. As we seek to know God better through his word, as we, as we, as we, as we desperately long for him, like that thirsty soul in a dry and weary land kind of hunger and thirst for God. As we have that kind of hunger, Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, what does he promise? He says, they will be filled. Folks, as we hunger and thirst for God and for a deeper understanding of him and a deeper relationship with him, a deeper experience of him, God promises that he will fill us. 
Paul wouldn't have prayed this prayer if he thought it was a useless or worthless prayer, if he thought it was an unattainable prayer. Paul prayed it because he knew that this could indeed be the experience of God's people and it's the experience that God wants for his people, for you and for me today. And the way we get that is through knowing him more. As we allow the Spirit of God to work in us, teaching us, training us, encouraging us, rebuking us, correcting us through the Word of God, we can know God more. We can indeed be people who walk in that wonderful hope. We can indeed understand the riches of not only our inheritance, but the fact that we also are God's inheritance. And we can know the power of God at work in our lives. Isn't that something to to, to yearn after and long for? Isn't that something that we all desperately want in our lives today? Then, folks, let's make this our prayer, shall we? For ourselves and for one another. Let's pray. Father, this morning we have been challenged from your word about about truly knowing you. Not just stuff about you. Not just facts and figures and things like that. Not just, you know, having some memory verses and things down pat for knowing, you know, where the books in the Bible appear and those sorts of things. But truly to know you in a deep and personal way. Lord, as Martin Lloyd-Jones reminded us, our supreme need is indeed to know God. Help us all to grow in our knowledge of you. Would you indeed give us all that spirit of wisdom and revelation of the the knowledge of you in our lives? And as we seek to know you more, as we seek to to deepen our relationship with you more, Lord, will you just continue to reveal yourself to us? Will you continue to show your that 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 reveal to us that hope that is ours in Jesus Christ? The fact that we indeed are your precious possession. And most of all, Lord, we will see your power. Your wonderful supernatural power at work in our lives, helping us to live that Christ like life. We commit this to you now in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.